Okay. Um, we've got just over half of us here today. Must be a thing about Friday. Either everyone's just sleeping in or they just find it easier to watch this conversation at like midnight or something. I don't know. I would think I might put you to sleep even more then. It would be easier to just get up and listen to me than to try and do it late at night, but that's, that's okay. Um, try to add a little color this morning. This is a juga. A juga is a ground cover. If you, once you get it established, it's pretty hard to kill. You can walk on it, trample it, mow it, and it keeps coming back. And it's actually fairly nice. And for about three weeks in the spring, it blooms. So this is the kind of plant you like once you have it, because it sort of covers up. And you also don't have to mow it all summer, which is why I'm figuring out other places to put it. Because if I can cover parts of the space instead of just being lawn that I have to keep mowing, that's to my advantage. So, and it grows well around here, so. But as you can see, based on its color, it's a spring bloomer. Most spring bloomers uh, tend to be more in the purples and blues, and those plants that bloom late summer are more of the yellows. I don't know why that holds true, but it does. So last time I finished up the set of slides talking about the little things related to public relations. And I know that on the syllabus for Wednesday, it had said a guest speaker. My guest speakers are a little tardy. Of all of them, I have gotten one of them so far has sent me their recording clip. And they were due last Sunday. So they're kind of like students. They're pushing the limit here. But I don't really hold a whole lot against them because it's voluntary for them to do anything at all. So my hope is that I get one or two more here over the weekend and then we can load one or two of them up and watch what they have to say about their careers in the industry, what's happening in the industry, whatever it happens to be. But today we're going to start in talking about safety. And OSHA, OSHA is going to be something you'll have to keep track of in your life. Just hope that you're not the person who has to read the entire OSHA section of the CFR because it's been assigned to you to be the safety officer. Because it's about 89 pages in the CFR. Really exciting stuff, but if you get it wrong, yeah, bad idea. And then we'll also get into record keeping here in a few days, but today we're gonna to start in on safety. So what is safety? I hope we can agree that when we're safe, we consider that we're free from danger, injury, 
or damage. When you ask someone if they're feeling safe, they're considering all these options, right? Are you in danger? Well, what are you in danger from? If your employees feel that they're in danger while they're at work, are they going to be doing their best work? But if they feel that they are safe, will they be able to focus and do what you're asking them to do? Employees tend to like to feel safe when they're at work. Sometimes that's not always true. Maybe you're the iron worker up there on the 90th floor welding as you're building this high rise, right? It's a high risk job. With all of the safety factors that we can put in place, it's still a high risk job. If they're willing to take the risk, what do we need to do? We need to come up with some reward system to acknowledge the risk, right? But in general, we would like all of our workers to feel safe. The folks in the front office tend to feel safer than the folks who are having to crawl inside of a piece of equipment to fix it, right? But we'll talk about some of those. But safety is freedom from danger, injury, accident, is an unplanned happening. You're driving down the street. Somebody blows through the stop sign, smacks into the side of your car. Did you plan that? Did you time it so that you knew that they could hit you so that you could claim the insurance and get a new car? Some people might have gone that far. But generally, we would call that an accident. It was unplanned, right? Typically undesirable. You're walking across Madari here to go to the parking lot on the other side there. Somebody's coming in from the north and they're coming a little fast and they don't see you. And this happens like at least once every other year, someone gets hit on that, on that crosswalk. It's unknown. Is it desirable to be hit by a car? No, it's definitely an accident. Causes injury to persons. Could cause waste of materials, right? If we're in a process facility and the production line is running and a person tries to reach on the conveyor to unjam something and gets their hand stuck, and they get drug along with the conveyor, they're probably gonna get injured, right? But what happens to all the product? It also got destroyed. So we've got multiple reasons that start to stack up as to why we want this thing to be safe. Because we can waste materials. While we're trying to deal with the person whose hand is stuck in the conveyor, we lose everyone's time and we still have to deal 
with the health and safety, the injury itself of that individual. We would much rather spend some money to make it safe than to spend the money to try and recover from the accident. Risk management, that's what we're gonna work on. That's one of the reasons we have safety programs in our process facilities. Legally, there are some basics. Basic legal minimums. Your facility has to meet the minimums, but there's nothing says you can't go above the minimums in your safety requirement. Each and every state in the United States, this does not necessarily hold true for other countries in the world, has some sort of, and I put this on quotes on purpose because in many states it's still listed as workman's comp. In many states they've corrected that to worker's comp, right? But depending on where you might work, there is a set of laws that says the employer must pay the medical cost of work-connected injuries. If the employee was at work doing exactly what you told them to do and they got injured, they don't pay for it, the company pays for it. And that's in virtually every state, there's a law that connects to that. That's a good thing. Most companies have workers' compensation insurance. They're buying insurance to cover those medical expenses. Well, if they have gone two or three years without having a single employee injured, what do you think happens to their premium costs? They go down and they go down a lot, right? But if they consistently have someone have a lost time injury, say once a month, they're gonna be putting an awful lot of money into that premium to try and cover the risks. From a business standpoint, one of the things you want to do is absolutely minimize your cost that you have to pay for the insurance you must buy in case your workers are injured on the job. That's to your benefit. That's dollars you can put somewhere else in the business model. But if you don't have a safety program in place and you're putting it out there, just paying the insurance, it's a fixed cost you can't do anything about. And when you have seasonal cycles in your sales, you still have that fixed cost. And you don't really want to have to deal with that one. That's one of the ones you could hopefully do something about. So that's our starting point. We have workers' compensation. We must have that available in case the individual is injured on the job. Most states, not all, but most states have 
separate safety and sanitation codes. Some choose not to write their own. They're willing to accept someone else's. In that case, usually the federal standards. Okay? But if you do not want to have to fully comply with the federal, then the state needs to write their own. Safety and sanitation codes. Does the state of South Dakota completely rewrite the inspection protocols for sanitation in every food process facility? No. What do they do? They accept the FDA and the USDA sanitation protocols. They work out an agreement that any inspections they do will assure compliance with the federal code, but they didn't want to have to go through all the hassle of writing a separate state code. It's not necessarily easier or can you come up with a better thing? In about 1970, instituted into federal law was the Occupational Safety and Health Act. It's the overall overarching umbrella for safety codes. It's the bare minimum. States can write their codes more restrictive, more protective, but in all cases, they have to comply with OSHA. Well, not all cases. Based on number of employees at a site, If you only have five employees, you're exempt from OSHA. If you have 50 employees, you still are. If you have 100, you have to comply with the whole thing. I believe that it's about 80. I'd have to go back and check, but if you're a very small startup operation, you've only got 20 employees total, you're not having to deal with that layer. But if you've got 2,000 employees, you absolutely must understand what that act says is the bare minimum umbrella for safety for all of your employees. 29 CFR 1910. And as I say, you. You almost want to hope that you're never appointed the safety officer. Because when you become the safety officer, you have to read that thing. And it's over 90 pages in the CFR of wonderful legalese. And it can't be used as a cure for insomnia. It must be at that point, if you're the safety officer, be fully understood not something most people are going to go out of their way thinking, I want to go read all of the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Any of you ready to go do that today? No one's volunteering. Recreational reading for the weekend, right? No. But we have to know what's there. 
So where do we find it? You just look up the ECFR, electronic CFR, look up Title 29, look under 1910. It's there. You don't have to go buy a book. Any change in that regulation at any point in time is first published in the Federal Register and then put into the Code of Federal Regulations. So someone in your company needs to be watching the Federal Register. This is not a really exciting task, but if nobody's watching it, how do you know if the rules change? So you have to have someone within your institution, which is why it doesn't necessarily have to apply if you only have five people. If you only have five people, you don't have necessarily the time to be screening the Federal Register every day. But at least once a week, check. See, is there going to be a change? They'll update CFR at minimum once a year. All titles are updated. Sometimes more often, if there's a very dramatic change, if it's not just some verbiage within how it's written, if there's a clear change in the policy and the regulation, they may update it three or four months. We used to only have print copy and they would, in a cycle through the 49 titles, over a three-year time frame, update them all. So Title 21, which was Food and Drug Administration, you would get a new print copy book every three years, and that was as up-to-date as it was. Now, two months, you could be out of date. You're expected to know where that is, whether it's dealing with FDA, USDA, inspections, safety, your company is expected to have someone checking in. The beauty is they don't move them around. If I was going to look for anything related to milk, I always start in CFR 21, section 131. From there, any changes in definition, whatever they might happen to do, they always put it in the same place. That's nice. But do they notify me if they're going to change something? No. I have to keep on top. So you need to have someone in your organization checking to see if OSHA has made any updates. Latest revision, it's only a couple months old, July of 2020. So why safety? Why do we care? We've been talking about public relations, right? You've been trying to project an image to your public. If you have a whole bunch of disgruntled employees, 
what can they do to your public image? They can trash it without a lot of work on their part. So from that image preservation point, even just from there, you need to have an idea of what is happening with your employees. You want it to be able to keep track of them from a discipline, from an accountability standpoint. But you need to be considering their safety to keep all of those things at a reasonable level. So employee relations is one of the reasons we're going to consider it. We improve morale if people come to work thinking they'll be safe. If I come to work, I sit down on my office over here down the hallway, I'm pretty safe. As long as none of you come in and cough on me, I'm probably okay today, right? How about if I was a coal miner? Had a really safe job on the best of days? Are there days it could certainly be worse? Oh yeah. The morale can change based on whether I feel safe or not. You want your employees to feel safe. You build better employee-employer relationships, which builds and holds up your public relationship. Management has a moral responsibility to protect its employees against injury. This seems like a good statement, right? Has this always been a true statement? No. For several centuries, the boss said you did this. Did they really care whether you got hurt or not? No. We could put somebody else in there tomorrow and do the same job. Yeah, sorry you had your foot cut off. Well, not really. Somebody else gets to do the job, right? How many people want to come line up to be your new employee if that's what your attitude is towards them? Not very many. So the management has that moral responsibility. You've invested in these employees. You spent a whole long lot of time finding them, hiring them. You don't want to create situations where you harm them. It doesn't make any sense. So we're working on why to be safe. If the public sees your plant as being a safe place to work, recruitment of employees is easier. If you need line employees, packaging line operators, are you going to go through an extensive private employment agency search? No. You're going to go something a little closer to home. You're not looking for extensive skills, but people are more likely to even put their name in if they think it's still safe to be there. Right? Makes it easier on you. 
your costs go down towards recruitment. If the public thinks you keep your people safe, that in and of itself has psychology and attached. The people who make this product are safe. It must be a good product. Is that a valid assumption? Hopefully, but it's still an assumption. We could have tremendously safe employees putting out a bunch of garbage, but the public perception is because they're safe and they like to be there, the product that they're making is probably good. Image preservation. We keep trying to work on that psychology. We become more efficient. We can produce more product if we're not spending time having to deal with an accident. Okay. Even an accident so small as the employee who slices open the end of their finger on the ragged edge of the piece of metal on the side of the machine that they're operating. That's an accident, right? Is it necessarily a lost time accident? Are they gonna be gone for the whole day? No, but are they gonna go, be gone from their position for a period of time? Well, you don't want a bleeding all over, right? You have to take at least some time to apply just basic first aid. That 10 minutes it takes to get their hand rinsed off, get the bandaid on, put a glove on it before they can come back is lost time. So how do we create the environment that that doesn't occur in? Accident prevention means control. How many of you like to be in control? The rest of you just whatever is, whatever, no? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I find in general people like to have some level of control. Now some people get really wound up and stressed out about things that they cannot control. But if you have a level of control, you can keep track of what's going on, accidents are down. One of the ways I can minimize accidents is if I have some control of my personnel. Now, do people like to be controlled? Not so much. But I can put this in in different ways. I can have a uniform policy. I can have a footwear policy. I can have a PPE policy, which now gives me as a company levels of control over the personnel, right? If my policy says the footwear is replaced every six months, 
Well, why? My shoes are st still fine. What's the number one accident in a food process facility? A slip. Because the floor is almost always wet. And if you have proper footwear, you have a chance. But if your footwear is a year and a half old and you've got wear spots and the heels are uneven, you've got, you're only asking for the accident to occur. You're doing nothing to control it. You can control personnel to help you in overall improve efficiency and production. Machines have safety guards on there on purpose. I don't want my employee to lean up against a piece of machinery and get burned or have their clothing get caught in a moving part, right? Now, is there a limit to that? Do I have to guard everything 25 feet up into the air? No, I'd be wasting material. But if I can reasonably say that individuals in my facility can reach to a height of seven and a half feet, then I better guard everything to at least seven and a half feet, right? Consider the interaction of the person with the machine. Protect the person from the machine so the machine can do what it's supposed to do. If you got this big robotic palletizer, right? picking things up, moving it around, setting it down. Is that just free to be out in the middle of the room or is there some sort of caging around it? So nobody gets too close. There's caging around it. Controlling the machine so that the interaction can be minimized. Materials. What's the floor made of? Would this be a good floor for a food process facility? Why not? It'd be really slick if it gets wet. Totally impractical, right? Materials that I can use can change my ability to make something safe or not. So we have to consider the cost of material versus the cost of dealing with the accident, the cost of increased workers' compensation insurance, right? If I invest a little bit more in my material up front and I can keep people safe, isn't that a reasonable thing to do? You're gonna have to put the pencil to that some days, but usually you're gonna decide that that is a very reasonable thing to do. We're talking about the drains and the ventilation system, the overall process environment. If I don't have any control of the ventilation in my facility, 
and I've got CIP wa washing over here on this tank and I've got product being made over here on this tank and I've got personnel going back and forth in between, do I have a safe environment? Possibly. But if I know that I've got proper exhausting of all fume production that might occur while I'm washing that tank, I've got better control of the environment. I have less chance of having incidents where people inhale fumes. You know, we need to control that environment. That's how we prevent the accidents. If we don't look to do those things, we're asking for the accident. We're not saying we need to have an accident tomorrow. We're just saying the probability is greatly increased. Lack of control leads to inefficient operation and can be considered to be poor management. None of you want to be the poor manager. You want to be the successful manager, the one who has employees who are doing what you are asking them to do in a safe manner because you're providing machines, facility, environment that allows them to be able to carry that out. Accidents are not money makers. I can't figure out how you could call an accident a money maker. First of all, they retard production output. Anytime production output slows down, because production output is typically calculated on units per hour or units per day of production, you automatically raise unit costs. Someone gets their hand stuck in the machine. The machine's off, production cycle is off, other personnel are involved helping them get out of the machine, getting them out of the facility to whatever the proper care might be. People are going to be involved in investigating how the incident occurred. All of that time has to be put back against how many units actually got produced today. And those unit costs skyrocket. Just because we had an accident, can we pass that cost on to the consumer? Very rarely can we ever build that in. So it's definitely a cost. It's not something that is good for us. Yes, the employee might get hurt. Employees certainly have value, but if the employee causes the machine to stop instantaneously for whatever the reason, when it's supposed to have certain amount of wind down time, whatever it is, and suddenly your piece of equipment that cost you $600,000 
you can't use for two weeks until you get the back apart to maybe be able to repair it. How are you going to account for that? It was all caused by an accident. Damaged equipment, clearly one of those things we have to consider as a possibility. But if we have control, we can minimize that possibility. The hidden costs. Increased insurance premium, you probably know what's coming. Decreased public image, how do you measure that? How do you quantify how much your public relations image was damaged because of an accident? How do you know? None of those things are good for your bottom line, right? They're not going to help your business become more successful. So what are some of the costs you can directly figure out? Well, if the person was injured on the job, guess what? For the two weeks that they're at home recovering, you still get to pay them. But you also have to pay for somebody else to be there doing the job that they can't be there to do because they were injured because they were working for you. So now you're paying a double salary. How long can you do that? Not, not long, right? So that's a direct cost you can measure. If that individual on average, you pay $200 a day, and it's gonna be two weeks that you have to have somebody else there, and you're still paying them, what are you suddenly out? an extra $2,000, right? That's a clear cost. Psychological, the people around this person, they get their hands stuck in the machine, two fingers sliced off. How do you measure the impact on their coworkers from the trauma, from the lost time, from their diverted interest, from their ability to get back up to speed to do the task? Because now they're worried they could do the same thing and end up without their fingers, right? That's clearly a cost, but it's harder to quantify. But if we can prevent the accident, we don't have to go through this exercise. So we want to do what we can to avoid that. If you ever driven down the road, say you're in the city and you wonder why traffic suddenly is going four miles an hour and it goes at four miles an hour for about a mile and there's car over there on the side of the road 
And then all of a sudden, traffic's going 40 miles an hour again. Within like a block. Why did it slow down so much? Everybody's got to look, right? What happened? Human nature. Well, this person got injured. I wonder what they were doing. Come over and look at the machine. Are they paying attention to what they're supposed to be doing? No. You lose time. You lose efficiency. Simply tied to a preventable occurrence. Something that wasn't supposed to happen, the accident. Maybe you have thought about this one, maybe you haven't. But every time any injury occurs, somebody has to fill out paperwork. It's probably gonna be you. It's become more streamlined. It's not quite as annoying as it once was, but it's still time taken from what you were supposed to be doing to do something else that is now required to be investigated and explained and properly filed. Because if you skip this, you set your company up for way more legal implications than you want to think about. If you don't have this properly done and the worker comes back and files a suit against your company, what's your company's side? It doesn't have one because you didn't do the report. That can be a very expensive litigation, right? Direct costs. So by now I'm hoping you're seeing that there's some very legitimate reasons your company should try to make that workplace environment safer for the employee. I'm going to stop there just because I'm really tired of talking through this mask. It takes way more effort than it ever used to. I, I'm going to try and ask next week when I go to the physician to see what happens to your blood pressure. Mask on, mask off. Because I think it goes up like at least 20 points trying to do this. What? Yeah. They fit better than any other ones I've encountered. So that part's okay. And actually they breathe slightly better, but yeah, in general, it's difficult. <laughs> Have a good weekend, or some of you all see this afternoon for lab. Yep. Yeah.